you're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell. I initially started this podcast to learn more about the ins and outs of travel. Eventually, I discovered there's so much more to a person than where they go. My goal is to learn more from people who are going places. I've interviewed community leaders, entrepreneurs, veterans, authors, and experts who tell fascinating stories and give amazing advice. Thanks for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell, and today I'm talking to Simon Eisenbach. He's a photographer and filmmaker who works with NGOs to authentically capture untold stories with attention to the voice and culture behind the NGO. He's also a world traveler, adventurer, and storyteller. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. So why don't we start from the very beginning? Because I think your story is interesting, and I want to see how it kind of plays out. But what was it like growing up in New York? Uh, I grew I grew up in a very different place than most people think when you say New York. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in the very middle of New York in Utica, New York, uh, which was like four hours from New York City. Okay. And it's very country, very like Rust Belt. Um, and I grew up just being outside a lot and mm. playing outside the whole nine yards as a kid. Played all sorts of sports because I never could stick to something. Mm. I was one of those kids that when I got good enough at something, I got bored and okay. moved on. Hmm. So like I'd play a sport for two or three years and then be like, okay, I'm bored and go to another sport. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like that was kind of my childhood. I was outdoors. I was athletic. I kind of just considered myself as a kid, like a generic athlete. I never hmm. was like overly spectacular at any one sport, but I was good enough at anything and I could just go perform. Yeah. Um, which was really funny. Huh. Uh, I ended up sticking to bowling of all sports. Oh, okay. And actually went to college for bowling for my first two years of college. Wow. And then realized that like that was kind of the end of it for me because yeah. to go any further would have cost a lot of money to try and get in and there wasn't enough mm. money to be made. Yeah. So then I just went a different route and I had been going to school for web design and management. Okay. Uh, but this is like the hand code HTML and CSS days. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, wow. Not, not what web development is. Yeah. No. Um, and then I realized that I didn't like the coding side of it. I liked the visual side of it mm. and like design, but I also was not necessarily the best graphic designer. Okay. And so I was... When I transferred out of community college, I went to school for general communications. Um, and then my senior year of college picked up a camera. It, like, so yeah, so like I'm literally hmm. not formally taught in photography yeah. in any way, shape, or form. Interesting. Um, like I took an intro to digital photo class, but like that was like the basics of the basics. Yeah. Um, everything else fully huh. self-taught. Uh, but then like the traveling side of things, my family was big on traveling. Okay. When I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So all of my childhood, we would do a two-week vacation in the summer, whether it was a road trip in the Northeast, or we would fly somewhere, rent a car, drive through a couple states, and then fly home. Yeah. Um, so I think before I was 18, I had been in 35 to 40 states. Wow. Yeah. Did you fly like domestic or internationally at all before? Um, yeah. Okay. We, we didn't do a ton of international just because yeah. expensive. It's hard. Um, but I had my sixth birthday in Australia. Really? That was a fun one. Yeah. Oh my God. Do you yeah. remember it? I mean... the, the things I remember most were 
I, we were going to the lava tubes and I fell and ripped my favorite pair of jeans. Oh no! Of all the things that like <laughs> stick in your brain. Um, and then the hotel that we were staying at on my birthday gave me a stuffed koala, a stuffed kangaroo, and a coloring book as gifts. That's cute. Yeah, it was adorable. It was like a, it was like a six-year-old who like, heck yes. You were like, living large. Oh, it was great. I think I had six birthday parties that year. Oh my God. Because we had like the celebration in Australia. Mm-hmm. We had a family one with my dad's parents. We had a family one with my mom's parents. Oh I had a friend's God. one. Wow. Uh, like it was, yeah. It that was, was like your peak was, birthday. Oh, it was great. It was fantastic. <laughs> I saw, that was like a four-week ba- birthday. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So that was like our big one when I was younger. Um, and then we did a cruise of the Bahamas when I was in high school. But everything okay. else is really domestic. Cool. Um, the international stuff with nonprofits was started because of my dad. Yeah. Um, my dad in, I think it was 2002... Uh, flew to Mali, West Africa and worked on a hospital that was being built. Mm-hmm. And then the original architect of it became terminally ill. And oh, my dad no. actually took over the design of the hospital because my dad's a civil engineer. Oh, cool. And okay. so he took over the design of that hospital and for the next eight years would go over twice a year. And basically wow. he would check on the like where it was and then he would do specialty electrical and like specialty things. So that hospital has full operating rooms Mm -hmm. and they have solar power, massive entire hospital generators. So certain things that were like very specific had to be done a specific way. Mm -hmm. He would go and do it, but also have like a Molly in person there. So like they wouldn't know how to fix it. Got it. Um, Which was cool because that way it's like, teaching them how to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it was done in a way that in this city that no one had ever done it before. Yeah. So it was of a scale that like really helped the community. Mm-hmm. And that hospital is a women's and children's fo- focused hospital and they have a birth rate comparable to the U.S. hospitals. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's wild. <gasps> how awesome. old were you when he started working on that? Uh, middle school. Okay. Middle school or early high school. So you kind of grew up with that project around. Yeah. Like me, all of high school, he was gone for six weeks a year because wow. he was over there. Because okay. he would go over for about three weeks. Huh. And this was also during the time when like international cell phones were not a thing and international calling was like $4 a minute. Oh my God. So like when he'd go over, yeah. we wouldn't talk to him. Huh. And especially where he was, like it was so out there that like you just didn't have wow they didn't have internet they didn't have anything and it's Mm. it's crazy now because especially in west africa cell phone technology has so surpassed landline technology yeah like it's almost like they play leapfrog with technology which is really cool to see because they didn't have these infrastructures that western countries have yeah so they're just like okay cool we're gonna build cell towers and everything's gonna be about cell towers Um, and Funny. very quickly turned to cell phones and so on and so forth. So it's, it's been interesting to see that development over the last 20 years. Yeah, that is interesting. So when did you finally get to go with him? Cause uh, I know that's my freshman year of college. Okay. Um, this wow. is before I touched the camera. Yeah. And <laughs> I, he was working on, I think that one was the library. He was working okay. on a library in Burkina Faso. Huh. And I went over and helped him with a bunch of electrical stuff because, I, him being a civil engineer, I grew yeah. up being around construction sites and cool. also helping him around the house. Wow. So I have 
at least at that time, I had basic construction knowledge. Okay. Um, and I have more now because I worked mm. in the construction field for a bit. Oh. Uh, yeah, I've been all over the map. Okay. I'm excited uh, to talk about it. Uh, so my freshman year of college, I ended up going over with him for the first time. And then oh. the group of people was a bunch of friends of mine from college that also went over. Okay. And we all were musicians and ended up actually becoming a like band for like the time we were there and ended up playing a concert in Burkina Faso. Cool. And like played on the radio and like it was wild. Yeah. The Burkina Faso radio? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It was wild. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. so interesting. I, oh man, that was 2007. Okay. That was 15 years ago. Oh yeah. All right, Crazy. getting old. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Okay, yeah. so you go to Burkina Faso, and then yep. when do you touch a camera? Uh, that wasn't until 2009. Oh my gosh. So I, before touching a camera in any real way, had been to mm-hmm. Burkina Faso, Gabon, Morocco, and my first trip to Indonesia. Cool. And then fall of 2009 was when I picked up a camera. And then that was when it started going with me. Hmm. And yeah, it, and like I literally only picked up a camera because intro to digital photo was the only class or fine art elective that fit playing soccer. So my junior year oh. I actually walked onto a division two soccer team. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, as a backup goalie. And oh, cool. Okay. Uh, I mean, when you're six foot six, yeah. you're not afraid of a soccer ball. I was and like, were you always tall in sports? Like, yeah, did that I was help always you? tall. Oh, okay. That's I was, good. We, the joke when I was a kid was that we, my mom birthed a toddler, not a baby. Oh my God. Like, you I'm just never. always wow. and shot up. My niece huh. and nephew, my sister's six two. Yeah. And my niece and nephew are supposed to be six three and six four. Oh my God. And their dad is only five eleven. Oh no. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's funny. Cause like I see them growing yeah. like weeds and I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> is this what it was like? And my mom's like, yes. Yeah. That's this funny. is what your childhood was like for me. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, so yeah. So that was the only elective that fit around soccer. Yeah. And so then when I was traveling again, mm-hmm. I just started taking the camera Hmm. and then I started realizing that a lot of nonprofits needed better quality photo Hmm. because like 08 to 2011 was when photography really started becoming way more intense, especially Mm -hmm. because that was like the advent of social media really taking off Got it. and photo just became such a more important thing Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and having a larger amount of quality content Mm because like a lot of nonprofits used to be able to do that like newsletter with like a couple small photos that were okay (sighs) and like be able to get by but like as social media grew you had to be able to compete with yeah the massive amount of images Mm -hmm. for attention true and so that's kind of where i like started to be like okay this is kind of where i want to go um but i being fresh out of college, needed to make money. So was working and then like trying to travel. Cool. And then, yeah. So that's kind of how it all started with a camera. Wow. Yeah. What was the first nonprofit you worked with after you decided you wanted to go the into that? The first one that I really worked with was a group called Engage Burkina. Okay. And they, I, we just have so many ties between my dad and I to Burkina yeah. Faso and Mali. Got it. Um, and have such deep ties mm-hmm. that... Like, 
my dad was there. My dad had been going there for a decade at that point. Yeah. This is like 2011, 2012. So, wow. I mean, my dad is close friends with a lot of Burkina Bay and Malian people. Mm-hmm. I have Mali, actually, which reminds me, I have to text a buddy back <laughs> uh, that texted me last night. That is a Mali, like Malian guy that I talk cool. to every so often. Yeah. Um, and he was one of my translators. Um, wow. Yeah. Cool. Um, so they worked in Burkina at the time. They've had to pull out of Burkina because of the political tension. Mm. Um, which that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah. Um, but Burkina Faso is just too tumultuous right now mm-hmm. to be able for them to safely work Dang. um and that's even using mostly burkina bay staff wow um, and so they're working in guinea now i think okay. i think it's where they've moved to for the time being yeah um but they do a lot of helping get food into poorer communities uh they also just outside the capital of Ouagadougou. uh or the capital is Ouagadougou, which is the mm-hmm. capital of Burkina. Um, they have a area called Sector 30, which is basically where widows and disabled people live. They basically oh. get pushed to this one area. Wow. And the group had started a garden that basically only employs widows and uh, disabled people. Yeah. And then they sell eggs from chickens and some other like game hens and like that kind of thing Mm -hmm. then they also have a solar powered well that they're able to do drip irrigation so they're growing crops year round and this is a very dry climate so like they're selling all their produce to like the higher end hotels because it is this nicer quality product yeah and so they're able to help support themselves and they're basically helping employ these people that would normally be considered outcasts yeah. in the community because of the way the culture works yeah. uh, or works. Um, and they're giving these people an opportunity to really just make their own future. And it's mm-hmm. super awesome. Yeah. Um, and so they do stuff like that. They do a lot of well drilling in remote villages. I've been over there on well trips where it's literally like documenting for a bit, working the well rig for mm. a bit. Um, that was wow. that was one of my first trips was literally working the well rig oh my and God. documenting <laughs> it at the same time. That's crazy. It was a lot and it's like 120. Yeah. Um that degrees? Was, yeah. Oh my that god. Was, that was the trip that I actually had a battery melt a hole through it in my bag. Yeah. Holy Never crap. battery had never been used. Oh my gosh. <gasps> I can send you the photo. Yeah. I want to <laughs> see insane. that. It's <gasps> insane. Literally it was a nine volt battery. What? And I pulled it out of my bag and it was just a hole right in the side of the battery. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And it was just because of the heat. Um, wow. So a lot of times when I go work in that region, yeah. I will take at least one extra camera body. Yeah. And I'm basically cycling cameras every 30 minutes mm. because I have to use a camera and then let it cool off. Use a camera and then let it cool off. Oh my God. And so you're basically just cycling cameras. And so I'll have four or five cameras going, but it's... Literally just, you can look at the timestamps and it's literally like, boom, boom, <laughs> boom. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So I want to hear more. So you worked with NGOs. How did that develop into like, you've worked all over. Yeah. So how did that turn into a career after working with them? Just knowing people. Yeah. Uh, it's Those a connections. Yeah. Um, I'm, and like, it's also opportunity. So like hmm. E4 Project, the group I've worked with in the Congo. Yeah. I got connected with them because 
uh, <laughs> after an alumni soccer game, one of my the other guys who had played prior to me, mm-hmm. like he was he was on the team in like 2003, and yeah. I was there in 09. Yeah. Um, we were tra- chatting in the locker room after the game, and he was like, "Oh, I work for this NGO," and I was like, "Cool, would love to connect with you." He ended up leaving, but he had put my name in the system as a photographer. Uh-huh. And then when the new development director, who's a buddy now, oh, cool. came in, he messaged me. He's like, hey, we need photography work. Like, cool. how do, like, might you be available? And hmm. so, like, that's how, like, it's just all random chance. It's yeah. very rarely been, like, cold emails. It's always oh, been warm wow. introductions to NGOs. That's cool. Um and so a lot of it's just knowing people. And also I, I tell people all the time, being a nice person gets you the furthest. In life. <laughs> like that's a good being point. a jerk will ruin your life. Being mm. super self-focused will ruin your life. Whereas like being a kind person, being open, asking a lot of questions, like mm. just being kind will yeah. get you so far in life. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Huh? I mean, that's kind of how we met, too. Exactly. <laughs> we were stuck like, in a zipline oh line. Gosh, that <laughs> and none of us wanted to do the zipline. No, line. we just yeah. didn't want to go so, yeah, down. Exactly that. Like, you don't, you don't know what opportunities are going to come. Yeah. But, like, if you're a jerk, yeah. those opportunities are going to go right past you hmm. for someone that is very pleasant to talk to. True. Or talk with, yeah. I should say, because with is mutual conversation. Yeah, that's um, a really good point. So, yeah. Hmm. That's yeah, so, so cool. It's just one of those, like, it's always been meeting people and then, yeah. like, also, like, crossover. I've met people while in Burkina that work with uh, Engage that weren't engaged directly. That mm. while I was shooting for Engage, I ended up doing a couple photos for them, like, yeah. that kind of thing. Cool. Um, so it's opportunities like that that just wow. come up. Yeah. And yeah. Has it mainly been in Africa? Um, I've done a job in Thailand with a group that does anti-human trafficking and some mm-hmm. stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, but mostly has been Africa. Um, okay. Burkina Faso and Mali are where I've been to most, um, just because that's where my deepest relationships yeah. are. And then I've done a project with a group in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia that mm. works with children basically trying to help kids in low-income areas stay in school oh wow um pays for school tuition they also do uh hand out hygiene products they feed kids one meal a week um stuff like that for the kids that are in their programs yeah and they've put 1500 plus kids through school oh my god and that's kindergarten through university for some of them yeah um, wow. and then I think I, they might be up over 2000 now that was in 2019 wow. um, I'd have to find out I haven't talked to them in a hot minute but yeah. that's just because life happens yeah. um, and then my goal is I want to help create sustainable communities around the world Yeah. Um, I am of the mindset that people shouldn't have to become a refugee for any other reason than political tension or wow. war um, you shouldn't have to become a refugee just because you can't feed your family Yeah. or you don't have access to water Mm -hmm. those kinds of things that i think there are opportunities out there and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of money out there to be put in better places yeah um but also people don't know what 
is truly possible if you don't tell them in an engaging way. Hmm. Um, and so you have to have a solid story and a solid visual yeah. to be able to tell the story in an engaging way to truly have the impact. And like a perfect example, wow. um, when we were there in 2017, the elementary school at in the village of Nebavongo was literally grass huts, like thatch roofs, mud walls. Oh my gosh. Um, they were working on a brick elementary school, but they just didn't have like the last like 15 grand. Yeah. We did a really quick like one minute video talking about it. They put it out and Dan from E4 Project had like done a presentation at a church and talk and they put it out on social media and they got the 15 grand in like two weeks. Holy crap. Yeah. Wow. So like stuff like that where they're just yeah. like, you see real change or yeah. like... Uh, but we also showed, like, here's the foundation of the school. Here's yeah. what the current situation is. Hmm. They basically had to rebuild their classrooms every year because the yeah. rainy season would just wipe out the out each classroom because oh it's just thatch roof. So, yeah. like, water goes straight through after a certain amount of time. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, so now they have this, like, super nice brick building. And they have electricity in it. And the, I, I think they have electricity in it. Okay. Um, I'd have to verify yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like they have this super nice like tin roof, brick, brand new desks inside. Wow. Um, and then also one of the interesting things in that region is they don't have the ability to drill wells because it's so wet and dense because it's oh. in the middle of the rainforest. Got it. Um, but they have all these freshwater springs that you can literally put like a concrete box over to protect it. Oh. And then there's a pressure buildup that brings up the water level. Yeah. So what they'll do is they'll put a concrete box over a freshwater spring, stick huh. a pipe out the side, water pressure rises, and then water just comes out the pipe consistently. Hmm. Covering the spring keeps animals, mosquitoes, yeah. humans from leaving waste in the water the whole nine yards yeah so you're able to it may not be perfectly pure on what we would consider standards in the u.s yeah but it's a heck of a lot cleaner and safer than what they had before yeah um and it's only 750 dollars to protect a spring which can impact thousands of people oh my gosh so like again you don't people don't necessarily know how they can have an impact but like yeah. that's literally people i've wasted money more money, worse ways. Yeah, that, for sure. And so being able to show people like, hey, here's how you can have a true impact on the world in a small way. Yeah. Yeah. Did the storytelling side of it come naturally to you? No. Really? I mean, I mean part of it, yes. Part of it, no. Okay. Because I'm one of those people that I always want to be pushing the boundaries. Hmm. And I want to do things in different ways. And there's just so hmm. much content being pushed out now yeah. that trying to... Like, I can tell the story. Yeah, like, fine. For sure. But trying to do it in a really engaging, really forward-thinking way that yeah. really stands out mm -hmm. is a lot harder. Because yeah. I want things to be unique. I want these organizations to grow. I want mm -hmm. really cool opportunities for these people. Yeah. Um, and trying to go... It's, it's one of those things, like, I want to go big and I want to do these grand things. Mm. But we're also on very, very, very tight budgets. Yeah. So it's just super expensive to pull off these projects. Yeah. Um, so it makes huh. it very hard to do other things because like yeah. I can't, it, I'm lucky if I can bring a second person on some of these. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, if I 
try to bring a second person, that takes it to like a forty, fifty thousand dollar job immediately. Wow. And that's if we're not going for a long time and I'm able to catch a break on someone's rates. Yeah. Um yeah. Wow. Like it is not cheap huh. to make these things happen. Yeah. And telling a smaller nonprofit, like telling them like forty thousand, fifty thousand yeah. dollars is what it's gonna take. I had one project that I talked to an NGO last year that I was going to cut them a deal and it was going to be like 18000 for two weeks in the in the field and having to do edits at home. And they were like, no, no, oh like that's God. 10% of our annual budget. Like wow. you can't do that. Yeah. And that's the reality of the nature is like, but mm. it's also, those are the groups that are having the most direct impact. Yeah. Um, I try to look a lot at NGOs and nonprofits of like, are they hiring a lot of Americans or foreigners mm. to do the work? Or is it a lot of local people? Interesting. Like E4 Project has two part-time employees mm-hmm. in the U.S. Okay. Everyone else is Congolese. Wow. And the hospital has 87 employees. Wow. Or something along that lines. That's really good. Yeah. Huh. So it's really putting the money where yeah. it belongs. Yeah. That's um, good. Stuff like that. And so that's what I try to look for. Or... Mm. Um, the group in Ethiopia, uh, Yezlal and Midge Project, mm-hmm. they have one American part-time employee. Oh, and wow. the rest are Ethiopian. Wow. So, like, that's those good. are the groups I look for because that's yeah. really having the lasting impact, putting the money where it makes the most sense. Yeah. But, again, they're also small. So, it's, like, unlike some of, like, the monsters like Mercy Ship or, yeah. like, Doctors Without Borders that have just millions and millions of dollars that they use yeah these we're talking sub five hundred thousand dollars a year in work or wow. maybe 500 to a million but mm-hmm. which is still tiny in the grand scheme yeah so, i bet you've yeah. seen it all too with nonprofits. like mm-hmm. i studied that a little bit in college but it's crazy how the, there's a thin line between yeah. good and bad <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i most of my career i was living in upstate new york yeah and I also did local TV production or like okay. video production up there. Yeah. And we have a lot of large nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Like there is a group, I'm not going to name the name, that mm-hmm. does $300 million a year in business that is a nonprofit that wow. they tried telling me that they couldn't even spend $1,000 on a video. Oh my God. And I was like, you're lying to me. <laughs> Here's why. Yeah. And they were trying to say, well, we have to put all this money towards our cause. And I'm like, I get that. But also, you have to invest. Yeah. And there's a certain scale of like, yeah. Hmm. So. Interesting. I get where they're going, but it's also a lot of nonprofits try to just get everything for free because they're a nonprofit. Yeah. That makes sense. But if you're Mm -hmm. doing $300 million a year of business. Yeah. You can spend a little money. (laughs) that's so cool let's talk more about so you recently got back from a big trip yes which doesn't really have to do with nonprofits, but it has to do with being flexible yeah moving around and having the same thought process yeah um yeah so i'm actually on the film crew with holland america group (laughs) which is the parent company of holland america cruise lines uh Seaborne Cruise Lines and Princess Cruise Lines. Cool. Um, and I, one of my buddies happens to lead up the team and 
invited me onto the team. Which oh my was god! A super awesome opportunity. Again, another connection. Yeah, it's that's all, crazy. Again, being nice. It's yeah. literally uh, cool. Scott and I met because of a company that was like an online education company that oh, wow. I don't think exists anymore. Oh. Okay. But he had just done a workshop with them, and I was in talks of doing a workshop with them. Hmm. And then we also both were featured in a literally at the same time were featured in a magazine put on by the sound music licensing company mm. soundstripe mm-hmm. they were doing a digital magazine and we were literally both in the same edition of it wow um and we'd always joked about wanting to do something together at one point and then uh, last year he was like he, they were doing filming while training like the crew was training uh the ship that we were on has submarines on board cool and they were training on subs and i was like hey dude i want in and he was like <gasps> okay so that's how it, that's how it started wow. again being a nice person yeah and, but also you have to bust your tail and do a lot of quality work yeah and it's a combination of like work hard and be a nice person yeah um hmm. and so yeah so i got to go on a job with them with the company seaborn cruises which is an ultra luxury cruise line yeah um and it was a really cool opportunity because we got to do a lot of wild things. Uh, the ship is three months old, and so we oh were my the, gosh, yeah. yeah, were you the first ones on? No, we were the like fourth voyage. They had been wow. in and around like Iceland and Greenland and Svalbard, Norway. Yep. Uh, basically, this ship was built to go to extreme places, and it's expedition focused. Cool. Um, so it is the Seaborn Ventures, the ship. It is. A, it's got an icebreaker hull, so it can literally like go through iceberg, or not necessarily full icebergs, but like it can break sheet ice up to a certain thickness. Um, there's two submarines, Zodiacs, sea kayaks, all on board the ship. Wow. They have expedition leaders that like take people out and like you can go out on Zodiacs and look for polar bears and like, stuff like that. It's crazy. Cool. Um, they had planned on doing a bunch of submarine stuff in the Caribbean, but they are only the third, I think it is, cruise ship to have submarines on board. So huh. getting permits to use the submarines was a bit of a newer thing. Yeah. So they, they were having issues with permitting, I think it was. Okay. Um, so we didn't get to use them as much, which was a bummer because like it would have been sick. Did you get to go in a submarine? No, I didn't. Oh, um, just, it was, we were supposed to do a bunch of filming of them. Yeah. Um, but it just wasn't enough time with the mm. subs in the water. Yeah. to make it happen um which was a that was literally one of our top priority things yeah and so we're like all right cool next time yeah <laughs> gotta come back cool um but yeah so we're basically filming all of the marketing material for this ship wow. um and showcasing all the different things on board uh restaurant they do all these dining experiences and like mm-hmm. people are like, oh, you had it made. And I'm like, yes, but also we had to work yeah. because we were always having to work where guests weren't. Okay. And we couldn't do things when guests were experiencing it because we basically oh. couldn't, we couldn't inhibit the guest experience. Yeah. And so like they do this thing called Earth and Ocean, which is <gasps> this like on the aft deck outdoors at sunset. So like cool. blue hour, the whole nine yards, yeah. you're sitting there eating dinner we had to wake up at 4 a.m. and film it at sunrise. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. So it's like, so it's like yeah, we got to do all oh, these cool no. things. But also, like, yeah. you had to do things where you're, it's not as glamorous as it sounds. Yeah. But also, like, it's an all-inclusive thing. Yeah. So I was literally eating filet mignon the size of a rocks glass. Oh, uh, I was giving scotch delivered to my room. Wow. Like, 
it was a pretty swanky little uh, experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, cool. Yeah, so it was, hmm. I also got to go snorkeling with barracuda and jellyfish and wow. Yeah. yeah. So and I was you getting paid to do it. You started in Newfoundland. Yeah, right? we started in Newfoundland, and then we're five days in a straight line through the Atlantic Ocean to Puerto Rico. Huh. Have you ever done cruises before that? I hadn't done anything like that. Um, Five days fully at sea. Yeah. Hitting land is a weird experience. Yeah. Um, I didn't notice it when I was like walking like with intent. Mm -hmm. But like when we were perusing shops in San Juan, Mm -hmm. you noticed like if you were trying to like walk slowly, your your body is still like swaying a little bit because you just got so used to like having the the rock of the ship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we went to Puerto Rico. Um, we were supposed to film in Puerto Rico mm-hmm. in the rainforest, but Hurricane Ian had wiped out a lot of the roads. Oh, so no. we ended up having a day off there. And then we were filming in the British Virgin Islands. We did a bunch of diving stuff and sea kayak stuff. Hmm. And then went from there to St. Kitts and Nevis, okay. where we were doing a bunch of beach stuff. Um, and then, so we basically were doing split squad when we hit the beaches. So we had in BVI, we had two dive boats out. One was actually diving, filming like talent snorkeling and like diving, diving. Um, we had, uh, three scuba divers with us and basically we had, we brought in an underwater camera operator the whole nine yards. Um, super awesome people. Yeah. Um, and then the other crew went out and did like a bunch of stuff around kayaks cool. because kayaks are a big thing. And then <laughs> in St. Kitts, they were doing like, because again, we couldn't do things where we were inhibiting guest experience. Yeah. So we had to do all this stuff with the talent that we had brought onto the ship because okay. we literally flew all of our, all of our camera crew and camera equipment, all of our hair, makeup, the whole nine yards. We flew eight talent or I should say, I say we, but like yeah. the company. Um, eight talent, also all the wardrobe for the talent. There was like 16 check bags were just wardrobe. Uh, <laughs> we had 43 of camera equipment. Oh my God. Um, and then I don't know what hair and makeup was. Probably a lot. And then personal items and so on. Crazy. And then, so yeah, so like we were off doing stuff with our talent. And mm-hmm. then when we were in St. Kitts, we were doing like interactions where we could pull one of the actual expedition leaders over and have them chatting as if they were doing like a about to go out yeah um that kind of thing cool um so it was one of those like they do this thing at St. Kitts where they literally like take over a beach and bring I feel so bad for the cooking people or the kitchen staff because they literally bring all the food off the ship and do this like barbecue on the beach yeah and yeah Wow. Um, so we were like, they were doing ex- they were doing kayak stuff off of the beach. Huh. So like between things, we'd like snag one of the expedition leaders for a couple minutes, shoot a couple things, and then yeah. go do something else. Smart. Um, Crazy. Yeah. So it was a lot of like perfect timing things. Yeah. Um, then we went to Martinique, where okay. we were we subbed in the rainforest stuff, and then got caught in a monstrous rainstorm. Um, yeah. Oh my God. With all your equipment? Yeah. Did, I, did you not see that on Instagram? No. Oh, I'll have to show you after. Holy crap. Oh, yeah. We were, we were out. Thankfully, we were only like a couple hundred feet oh down the road from our van for our <gasps> bus. But, uh, yeah, we were oh out and then God. all of a sudden just like torrential downpour, <gasps> like drip, oh, no. drip, boom. 
and oh my god we literally were just like tarping cameras and stuff yeah um yeah it was <gasps> insane um, oh my god i can't wait to see the photo but yeah and then we had like the coolest food experience ever <gasps> we went to this like local restaurant oh and fun they gave us rum punch that we're pretty sure all the fruit for the rum punch was grown in the backyard of the restaurant. Oh my God. And then like all of the fish that they gave us was clearly caught that morning. Wow. And yeah, it was so good. That's cool. Yeah. It was a super awesome. And like all of the food was in like a very Martinique style. So oh, it was cool. like super unique, super awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Oh my gosh. So then you came back. So then I came back. But, okay, wait. Well, we went to Barbados and then got off the ship in Barbados and came back. Yeah, and you had quite the adventure <laughs> getting back, yeah. but you're here now. I'm here, <laughs> happy to be home for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was crazy, but it was super fun. Yeah. Um, that footage will actually probably be out in the next, like, week or two, which cool. would be, like, mid-November. Cool. Um, That's so exciting. Yeah. So, when you're filming, do you have, like, a specific niche that you prefer to do, or can you just kind of do everything? I, I'm a Swiss Army knife. That's uh, cool. I, I, I should say, I'm a camera department Swiss Army knife. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> I do time-lapse, mm-hmm. I do photo, I do video, I can literally, like... I've worked with pretty much every camera manufacturer, so like, cool. you can hand me a camera and I can be able to go out and shoot. Wow. Um, that's part of why I got brought in with the cruise line was because mm-hmm. when they go on, they need people that can wear multiple hats. Mm-hmm. Um, because every room, every person that's on board the ship takes a guest room away. Yeah. So you need as few rooms, especially because since COVID, they're trying yeah. to recoup all their losses. True. So the more stuff you can do, the better off you are. So mm. I'm really like a Swiss Army knife. I also do edit video. Um, it's not as much of my favorite thing, but I yeah. do it. Um, okay. Yeah. So huh. it's yeah. So I, I just call myself a Swiss Army knife. Um, Is that on your resume? I don't actually have a real resume. Really? I mean, it's. I don't like. What am I gonna tell? I ha- I technically have a resume, but it's like. Here's the camera systems I know. Like, yeah. like, huh. what else, like, what do I really put on? It's not like a normal resume that's like, yeah. I worked here and here. I worked, I mean, I've uh-huh. worked for five different companies in the last two months. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to put huh. down work for this company for one day on a resume. Yeah. Like, it's like, true. I'm like, here, here's my skill sets. Like, I, mm. here's, here's work I've done. Here's jobs that I've done as this type of role. Crazy. As a camera assistant, like, what are the things you are capable of doing? Can I huh. focus? Yes. Uh, can I clean cameras? Yes. Can I repair cameras? Yes. Huh. Are there certain cameras that I'm a little more leery on than others? Yes. But, like, I can still do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, it's the nature mm-hmm. of the beast. You just have to be able to go and take care of it. And that's, like, why I got brought in for the, again, why I brought it right in is because I know how to do multiple things. Yeah. Um, Time lapse is one of my favorite things, and not hmm. a lot of people do it well. Um, Interesting. It's easy to do nowadays because of technology. Yeah. But there's a lot that you can do to be stylistic in time lapse. Yeah. That a lot of people don't realize. Okay. Um, because you, if you think about it, like perfect example is like you're shooting like a busy intersection. Mm-hmm. If you shoot it with a fast shutter speed, it looks like ants moving. But if you shoot it with a slow shutter speed, it looks like this beautiful chaotic motion yeah. because everything's blurred together with yeah. the, the motion lines. And there are different situations where you want different things. Yeah. 
Like if you're talking about something you want busyness and you want to think about that, like, like if I was shooting something in New York about like huh. the busyness of life in New York, I would yeah. want that more like staccato, like very like sharp motion yeah. that feels edgy. Interesting. Whereas like if I'm shooting something where it's like talking about clouds moving and stuff, I want yeah. it to feel more flowy. Yeah. And so like that's one of the things that I just kind of like is more of my unique thing is like yeah. being able to do some of that stuff. That's cool. It's yeah. like the storytelling piece. Like you exactly. can see it before. Interesting. The, uh, I actually almost got stuck in a country. I can't say on the record where I was in West Africa at the beginning of COVID. <laughs> and the, I was sh- there shooting solely slow shutter time lapses oh, wow. because the story fit it, but also for security reasons, um, the place that I was at was trying to do some stuff for growth, but also it had a direct threat from ISIS. Oh my um, God. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I, I talk about it fairly casually. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like they had had a direct threat from ISIS. So no foreign staff member could have it if an image that their face actually showed up um, because it was actually tracked. Um, oh my god and so what I was doing was I was there shooting time lapse of the space and like what the community was doing but it was all like super slow shutter so any person that was in frame was a blur in some way shape or form so like you'd see lighter skinned people but you couldn't tell exactly who that person was you couldn't do any sort of identity check um, off that person and it was very intentional and sadly COVID ended up killing that project. Um, but yeah. So like. That's a lot of pressure. It was. <laughs> I mean. It was crazy. But. Yeah. I also. Cool. Look at the outcomes and I go. What is the potential for what they can do with this? Yeah. Versus what's my risk? Huh. Um, and I have a very weird risk tolerance. Where like. I'm willing to go to really sketchy places. Because yeah. I know the impact that people can have. Yeah, um, that's good. And honestly, like if something happens, it's part of life. Yeah, like wow. it's it's weird to say, and a lot of people are like, yeah. "That's so like down." But I'm like, yes and no. Like yeah. I'm one person, but if I can help thousands have a better life, like I'll take that chance. Yeah, that's a big. I mean, that's powerful that you say that, and like not pe- not many people would have that mindset. So that's very. I don't know. It's very telling of your character. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) No, you're welcome. Yeah. Okay. I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't asked this question in a long time, but I like to ask photographers. I read somewhere that I don't know where it is. I don't even know, but there was a person who said that taking a picture of someone was like taking a part of their soul. So, there are actually places that believe that so much that I've almost gotten my cameras broken. Are you serious? Yeah. Um, there are a lot of places, especially well, especially places that don't have a lot of technology. Wow. They they think that it is literally stealing their soul, and that you're giving away their soul. Um, yeah. How do you feel about that? I mean. I, I see it to a certain extent, but I also 
I view it more as like you're if you take a really good photo of someone, mm-hmm. you more learn about their personality and their life mm-hmm. because you can read a lot of a person through an image of them mm-hmm. um, and immediately pops into my head from a job I did in Senegal where I was in a village and there was this old man shucking peanuts by hand and this uh... guy was probably in his 60s or 70s and you could just tell from the texture on his face that he had a hard life yeah um, and then I got a detailed photo of his fingers of him shelling the peanuts and I didn't realize it until after, but he was actually missing part of one of his fingers. And oh that along with like the texture of like, just like the brokenness of the skin on his hands, like just tells a lot about a person. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily like take their soul to me, yeah. but it, the, a, per, a great image of a person tells their story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and that's about anyone. Yeah. Whether it's someone in some remote part of Africa or someone in New York City or someone here in Salt Lake City. Yeah. Uh, it tells a lot about a person and their story and their past, whether they were like some super pampered. Like, because if you think about it, like if you took a photo of a celebrity, they're going to have this like really soft, like, Mm-hmm. Thin, like almost like thin skin where it's like super smooth yeah i say i say thin is like it's been well taken care of yeah whereas you take a photo like what i was just describing and you've got thick calluses on some farmer's hand mm-hmm. or like really like you could tell someone's been out in windstorms or something where like they just have like you could tell the damage on their face like yeah. that kind of thing you can tell that from a photo huh and the photo, especially with like if it's part of a photo story of a, like a region, mm-hmm. you can get added context to it because like if I'm in Burkina, you're going to know that I'm in a sub-Saharan, very dry, very hot climate, which yeah. means that you're going to see looser, like lighter fit clothing um, mm. A lot of the formal clothing of Burkina is this really baggy stuff hmm. uh, that lets air breathe, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, very elegant embroidery and things on the formal clothes, but it's still very loose fitting. And then you see all of this texture of like spending a lot of time outside on their skin and so mm. on and so forth. So you learn a lot about a person from a photo. Yeah, that's really powerful. That's interesting that you heard that. That's yeah. so cool. Oh, I've literally, like, and it happened <gasps> more in Asia than in Africa. Okay, that's um, where I think that I heard that from. Um, I've literally almost had cameras smacked out of my hands. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. In, like, remote villages. Wow. Yeah. Like, people literally <gasps> think you're just taking their identity. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, yeah, so huh. like, I've actually had that happen where it's like, okay. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Not to switch gears, but I want to talk about your van. Oh, we can talk about. We have so much to talk about. There's so many things. Yeah. So that was that was COVID. Um, Dang. So after get after getting back, I was so from your unknown place. From I can say West Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I got I was on the last flight. I was on the last Delta flight from Paris to the Northeast U.S. When was that? Like mid March. Yeah, it was Jeez. when when the travel ban got announced. Yep. And it was like you had to be home by Tuesday at midnight or whatever. Yep. I was on March the last. 9th. I was on the last Delta flight from Charles de Gaulle in Paris wow. to the Northeast, and they canceled three flights. I was supposed to go into Boston originally. Ended up having to go through JFK, which was convenient because I was living in Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, and then my landlord sold my place out from under me in the summer of 2020, and he tried to <gasps> he tried to evict me during the uh, eviction moratorium, and. <gasps> I negotiated with him the terms of like me leaving because we mm-hmm. had it was all in writing that I had a uh, lease through November. Yeah. Um, and he tried to t- kick me out on twenty one day notice, which was already illegal in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, oh my god! And what he did not know at that time, which he found out shortly thereafter, is I actually had been a landlord because I owned an office in New York that was a multi use with an apartment. Oh my god! Yeah. Huh. Um, so I basically just was like, I've been in your shoes. Here's what you're. Like, here's what you're allowed to do. And he was like, oh. And I was like, but here's what I'm willing to do. And basically, he just had to buy out a bunch of my... He basically just gave me a bunch of money back. Oh. And then I, at that time, was naive and thought COVID was going to end at the end of 2020. Yeah. So I was like, I'll go explore a bit. My parents are living... So my parents live in New Hampshire. Okay. And I was in just outside Philly. Got it. And... I was like, I'll put my stuff in storage. A buddy of mine was going to let me use his basement for four months. And then uh, I was going to go explore the Northeast, fall foliage, chase, literally built the back of my Subaru Outback and lived in the back (laughs) of the Subaru Outback for four months. Uh, Well, I I lived in it for three months and then went to my parents for a month for the holidays. Okay. Um, But this was also peak COVID where I was like, I had to isolate going into New Hampshire because my sister works for a <gasps> hospital and the hospital required anyone around the family to do a two-week quarantine. Did you quarantine in your Subaru? I, I ended up getting a hotel. Oh, okay. Um, but <laughs> I mean, I could have done it. I had tested. So I had tested negative going into the state of New Hampshire, okay. which for the state of New Hampshire said I didn't need to quarantine, but oh. the hospital didn't care and required quarantine. Oh, weird. So I had to quarantine. Okay. Um, huh. So I, I did a stint in the Outback and a bit in the hotel. Okay. Huh. Crazy. It wasn't that bad. I actually enjoyed it because it was super nimble and able to bounce around a lot. Yeah, that's good. Um, And then I realized around Thanksgiving that it was not going to change. And I was like, well, I can't live in the Outback. And basically just wrote a pros and cons of like what I needed in a nomadic housing situation mm-hmm. and what I didn't want in a nomadic housing situation. And basically it came down to, I needed to be able to stand up straight. I needed <laughs> to be able to sleep comfortably and I needed to be able to work comfortably. Okay. I mean, being six, six, that's probably harder than you'd think. It is, there's literally the only one I could buy and build out was the Ford transit. Okay. Um, and the way I built it out, I had a half inch of headroom. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so you hit your head a few times. I mean, I hit my head on the front where it starts to curve down as you yeah. go out. But like, <laughs> I, it was more of I would hit my hands getting dressed. Oh, I had okay. to like learn to like lean over to put shirts on. <laughs> um, but I was able to at least stand up. Yeah. And that was the thing. I was like, I want to be able to stand. Wow. Um, so I bought it in the middle of January of 2021. 
and then proceeded over the next six weeks to build it out. Part of it was built in Pennsylvania. Part of it was built in Texas. Okay. Um, and then made tweaks as I went from there. Yeah. But it turned into like the most ideal mobile production vehicle. Cool. Um, all sorts, like the roof is literally, it's the largest Ford Transit they make. Hmm. I have 600 watts of solar on the roof. You could add 200 more, but I didn't need it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to add the weight. Um, then 300 amp hours of lithium, which to give you an idea of just how much that was in terms of practical use, mm-hmm. I could be charging camera batteries, editing on the 27 inch monitor I built into the van and have hard drives running with the lights on and use like three to 4% of the battery per hour. Oh my God. So like, I never had to worry about power. Yeah. And that was intentional. Like, I didn't want to have to worry about, like, am I going to run out of power tonight? Yeah. Um, There's also a diesel heater in it. It's literally an apartment on wheels. Wow. Uh, Queen size bed in it. Were you able to sell it yet? Uh, I actually just put it up this week. Good. Um, That's exciting. Yeah, that was a crazy thank you, idiot Ford dealer. The the former service guy at a Ford dealer, I will not name because everyone else I've interacted with is great. Yeah. um, Basically lied to me and they just weren't working on it. (gasps) And oh my god! Found out when my girlfriend and I needed it because I was supposed to go to Rampage, but then had to go to work. But she needed it for a Red Bull Rampage, (gasps) and that was when we found out from they had fired the former service manager and hired a new one and the new one admitted what happened to (gasps) that's Um, crazy yeah wow okay so you built it out so i built the whole thing out in six weeks and then i was in 29 states in uh, the matter of a year and a half wow yeah i literally was all over the country i was in i also hit my 49th and 50th state so i've been to all 50 wow thanks to the van (gasps) what was your 50th state north dakota interesting okay isn't that where Mount yes. Rushmore is? Or is that South no, Dakota? No, South Dakota. Okay, so it is kind of Theodore remote. Roosevelt National Park. Oh. Is actually a really fun time. He's my favorite. Um, they have the foundation of his original cabin still there. Wow. And then there... So it's this weird, like... It's weird for a national park because there's three completely different sections that are yeah. like 20 miles apart. Hmm. Um, one is literally like the foundation of his house and like the surrounding area. Okay. And then... There's other kind of important areas that are like closer to major roads. Yeah. But it's also super cool because it's all fenced off and <laughs> near a lot of BLM land. So it was easy to kill. Oh, nice. Um, but like there was all sorts of bison. I actually almost got killed twice when I was there. By bison? Yeah. Not, it was not me doing dumb stuff. It was. Oh my God. Me trying to carefully maneuver. So I was on a, the first one I was on a hiking trail mm-hmm. and literally on a plateau and there was just a bison walking past me and I just kind of had to stand there and he just kind of stopped and stared at me for a hot minute. Um, are they mean? Oh yeah. And oh. they will outrun you. I learned that about um, moose too. I didn't know that yeah. these animals are mean. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, and I, I mean, I gave him the 25 yards plus yeah. you're supposed to but he still like was slowly moving towards me and like then eventually just like stopped and ate um oh god that one wasn't as bad the one that i thought i was going to die was um i was coming out of a canyon mm-hmm. and so like 
you literally had to like climb diagonally up the canyon wall. Okay. And then you come over the top edge and like, it's all trees at the top edge. Mm -hmm. So I come out and he's literally on the trail walking (gasps) at me. So like, there's no way I could have known he was there. Yeah. Um, And also it was probably good that I wasn't on the canyon wall when he started going down. Oh, um, because that would have been even worse. Yeah. Uh, but basically I come over and he's maybe 20, 25 feet away. And so I start backing into the, like, we're on the plateau. So I'm like backing away, um, calmly, but like also trying to like keep my distance, yeah. but not act, react like too quickly, huh. uh, but also not stay there. Yeah. And then he starts following me. And then, so I started walking back towards the edge and like, looking for trees I could jump into over the edge of the canyon wall. Mind you, I had a 70 liter bag on my back and my camera rigged on my front. And like my heart is just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Like racing. Like you were talking about with coffee. Yeah. Like literally just like beating out of my chest. Oh my God. Um, And then... He followed me for a little bit, and then as I was making my way back towards the edge to jump over the edge of the wall into a tree, he decided to just continue off into the field, and I, as soon as I, it was about 100, uh, yeah, about 100 feet away, made my way as fast as I could the quarter mile back to my van. Holy crap. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. So, it wasn't me doing dumb things, it yeah. was just like, nature is nature. Wow. Um, but also trying to respect nature. Yeah. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. So how did you end up in Utah? Uh, my girlfriend's getting her master's degree at the U. Oh, okay. Um, and so I was bouncing in and out of Utah Yeah. to visit her and then got some work opportunities that put me in Utah. Okay. And eventually it was kind of like, a, this is a really good spot to land. Yeah. Um, and so we got a place in Salt Lake and mm. brought my dog out from the East Coast because she <laughs> did not, my dog did not do van life well. Oh, no. I tried it. And, <laughs> uh, thankfully, I had some really good friends that I am forever grateful for okay. that were able to watch her and yeah. love on her. And she had twin 11, 12 year olds, 12 year olds, um, that just spoiled <gasps> oh. the ever living daylights yeah. out of her. So she, was very well taken care of. Um, Good. And so, yeah. So, we brought her out in March. And she loves it. And awesome. Yeah. What's next? What's next is a part two episode with Simon where we will get to hear everything he's been up to and what's next for him. So, stay tuned. And you'll hear in episode part two. Okay. I have one more question. And it'll stump you. you. I'm intrigued if it's going to stump you. It's my favorite question. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you not go? If I could go anywhere in the world, where would I not go? Honestly, any major tourist location. Really? Yes. That's a good answer. Like Disney World? Have you ever been to Disney World? I have. Do you hate it? I would never go back by my own choice. Okay. Um, <laughs> because tourist attractions to me are not interesting. Mm-hmm. Like there are some tourist heavy places that have interesting history. Yeah. But like, I love, like my favorite places, like people are like, what's your realize? I'm like, there's not one, but there's things I love about all these places. Yeah. And the people 
in the smaller, more remote, less traveled places are always the nicest, most warm, yeah. welcoming individuals you will <laughs> ever meet. True. And so I just love going to those places that like are not super tourist heavy. Hmm. Um, one of my favorite vacations ever, I was living in Taiwan and me and some friends went to the Penghu Islands, which are these little islands in the South China Sea. Hmm. And there, some of them are so small, you can literally ride a scooter around them in like 20 minutes. But That's all so fi- fun. But they're all fishing villages. And so you literally would like go to a beach, go to some little restaurant that all they served was the fish that was caught that morning. Wow. And I, my Taiwanese friends would translate for us. And cool. they were just the nicest, most welcoming people. And like... Half the time, the people would, like, sit there and talk with us because yeah. we were the only people in the restaurant. Huh. And, like, they'd bring out all these things. They're like, oh, we want to try this. Like, we want to see what you think as, like, a foreigner huh. because they are trying to, like, make new things. And, yeah. Like, those are, like, the most fun interactions. And it's not just because they're giving us things that, like, we didn't order. But, like, yeah. it's a true authentic experience that I will remember yeah. more than, like, okay, I saw the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> Like, yeah, I remember that stuff way more. Like, that's awesome. Being in the Congo and being at a party of 3,000 people dancing, I will remember wow. that way more than like Disney. <laughs> I like that. That was so, a good answer. Yeah. Huh. Good. Well, yeah. thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. That was awesome. I'm so glad I had to wait in line <laughs> <laughs> for a zip line. For a zip line that you weren't going to go down. <laughs> Because the ride we all wanted to be yeah. was close. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. That was my interview with Simon Eisenbach. If you like this conversation, stay tuned for part two. We're going to do a quick recap on everything we talked about when we recorded this in November of 2022 and everything he's been up to since and what he's up to next. Stay tuned. If you like this conversation, check out my other interviews. I promise you'll love my amazing guests. They have incredible stories and are just amazing human beings. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Bye!